Let's pray, and we'll start our lesson. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we have confidence in the truthfulness of your word and what you have revealed to us. I pray that you would give us increased confidence, Lord, in a zeal for reaching out to those around us with the gospel of Christ, that we may be desire to see others come to faith in Christ, and as we study the topic of apologetics, Lord, that we desire to see uh, this material used to help us in that end to see people come to faith. So I pray that you would accomplish that and this in the Christ name. Amen. Just by way of review for some of the things that we uh, talked about last week, uh, we discussed what apologetics is, and uh, uh, we talked about how it comes from the word apologia, apologia, which means to explain, to reply to, or to refute charges, to defend. Uh, one of these examples, Acts 22, is when Paul, Paul was on trial and he was defending himself on trial and he was offering a defense for himself for his actions. Uh, and then in 1 Peter, we see that's the kind of the landmark apologetic text always be ready to give a defense for those who ask a reason for the hope that's within you. Uh, so that's where the term comes from apologetics. We're not apologizing for anything, we're not sorry for our faith, we're offering a defense for what it is that we believe. We believe it's rational to conclude these things. Well, we talk about some definitions of apologetics. Uh, the, di the discipline of offering a defense of and a case for or evidence for the veracity that's the truthfulness of and the reliability of the Christian faith. In short, it's knowing what you believe, why you believe it, being able to explain why in a winsome way. And then uh, Cornelius Van Til is a great apologist. He had this definition of vindication of the Christian worldview over and against the non-Christian worldview. Uh, there's any time we're engaging in uh, different worldviews, there's a clash of worldviews going on. The non-Christian worldview is making truth claims. The Christian worldview is making contrary truth claims. There's a clash there. They can't both be true. Well, the discipline of apologetics demonstrates to the, that's where the veracity, the truthfulness of the Christian worldview, it vindicates the Christian worldview over and against the non-Christian worldview. So that's, those are some definitions we talked about last week. Uh, we talked about the difference between apologetics and evangelism. Apologetics is the defense for why we believe what we believe. Evangelism is sharing the good news of the gospel. The two go hand in hand in many ways. Uh, oftentimes, when we're sharing the gospel, people are going to have questions. They're going to want to know answers to this, that, or the other thing. And, and so we can use apologetics to help get those objections and get those things kind of out of the way while we get to the heart of the gospel. But uh, my argument is that if we do apologetics but never get to evangelism, we've kind of missed the whole point of what apologetics is supposed to help us do. Apologetics is a tool to help us in our evangelism. And if apologetics doesn't end in the gospel, I would argue we failed in our apologetic encounters. It, it really, we really need to get back to the heart of things, get back to the gospel. We talked last week about how apologetics is for Christians. Uh, we should be able to explain why we have faith in Christ. That's First Peter 3.15, always be ready to give defense. Christians should be able to critique unbiblical worldviews. Second Corinthians chapter 10, that's a passage we looked at last week as well, that we destroy strongholds and every lofty 
opinion that raises itself up against the, the knowledge of God. We're to bring every thought captive to the knowledge of Christ. And so there's, a, there's an offensive element where we're uh, combating. There's, again, there's that clash of worldviews while we're, we're uh, demonstrating the folly of the unbiblical worldview and demonstrating the truthfulness of the Christian worldview. And we're using our minds and our intellect to the glory of God. When we think about things in a, in a rational way, we're trying to use our mind to try to think through different logical flows and such. That's, we're using our minds and the intellect that God has gave, given us for his glory uh, to demonstrate his, uh, and to show forth his, his goodness and his truthfulness. It's for, for non-Christians, it uh, answers... Uh, their questions removes distractions from belief. Again, that's the concept that people have questions. They raise them. They throw stuff up. A lot of times it's smoke screens. I got I used the, uh, the example last week of an individual I was talking to, and, and he would just throw up issue after issue. None of them were connected. They were just these these just nebulous ideas that were objections that were just anything that he could to throw up in front of the truth and to get to not have a key knock. Well, you're just looking to, he didn't even argue the point. So, like, he would say, well, what about this? And I would ask the question, he'd go, okay, well, what about this? And so the point wasn't actually to, to learn. The point wasn't actually to have his objections answered. It was just, I have an objection. I'm just, I'm just throwing up an objection, objection. It's just, just throwing it up for the purpose of having something to not have to think about the truth. Right? You just have to want to think about how he's responsible before God. And so he's just throwing up these different things. And you can knock them down one at a time, and there's just like whack them all. Just knocking them down, knocking them down, trying to get to the real issue at play. Um, and so the apologetics helps us in this process of getting those things out of the way so that we can get and focus on the gospel. Again, apologetics coupled with evangelism points non Christians to faith in Jesus. And that's where we left things off last week. Um, is talk about a couple of approaches to apologetics. And there are multiple, there's, there's considered to be four schools of apologetic thought. We're not gonna look at all four. We're really gonna look at two in particular. Uh, they're the most common and I think they're the most helpful. Uh, the other two have their place, but uh, I really think these two are the most common and the most helpful. Um, and I'm gonna, I want us to think through a little bit how how does the Bible direct us to what apologetic approach that we should have? So there's different approaches to apologetics, and there's one school of thought, discipline, that's called the evidentialist approach to apologetics. Evidentialists appeal to creation to demonstrate truths of which the scriptures speak. So I'm sure you guys have heard different examples of this in different places. Um, how many of you have heard like the watchmaker example? You get, a, you get all the parts of a watch, you stick them in the bag, you start shaking it. How long have it been until a watch just kind of forms out of the bag? Well, it's never really going to happen. If you have a watch, that indicates that there's probably a watchmaker who put that together. And so we look at the evidence of what we see and conclude that there must be something that brought that about. So we look at creation just like a watch couldn't just randomly formulate by shaking it in a bag for a hundred million years, so too the world isn't going to randomly formulate just by happenstance. Like it, 
there's if you see creation, there has to be a creator. So it's so yeah, it is it's uh, yes. It's a, it's a part of the cosmological argument for sure. That's, that's the direction that So there's we'll get into uh, more about the uh, like those cosmological arguments and stuff like that. I do think they have value. Um, but this is just the, this is just the general approach. Um, I think it's. It, I think it does have value. Uh, in that as we see the evidences that do exist in creation, that do exist in the world, we can be bolstered in our own faith in that. Like it can strengthen us in our faith. Like we can be encouraged as it confirms us within our own faith. It does. It can remove surface level objections of non-Christians as they're just, oh well, you know, what about you know what about the Big Bang? It's like, well, what about the Big Bang? I mean, even if there was a Big Bang, even if I concede that point for the sake of argument, well, where did this stuff come from that produced the Big Bang? It, some, it had to come from somewhere, right? And so you, you can use that argument, it can remove surface level objections. So I do think there is value and there's usefulness to it uh, on that point. And there have been many tremendous evidentialist apologists who have done tremendous work defending uh, the reliability of the scriptures and de uh, defending the, the truthfulness of the biblical worldview. And I appreciate many apologists that take this approach in their work. However, I would not define myself when it comes to the discipline of apologetics. I would not define myself as, a, as an evidentialist apologist. That's not the direction that I would automatically jump to. And there are really three main problems that I would have if this is the main approach that we're going to have. There are three main issues, three weaknesses I think the evidentialist approach has. And we, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week. But just, just from, um, maybe just from our discussion last week or even just thinking through things, can you Think uh, any guesses about okay, you know, if I'm thinking through this evidential approach, I know the word of God, I know the scripture. Are are there weaknesses in this approach? You know, I have an idea. That's okay, but I'm just curious if the reason that one. Because the, the gospel 
isn't general revelation. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to tie me in with things. So I've got I've got three issues, and it ties into several things that's, that's been mentioned already. The first, uh, I find that the evidentialist arguments generally assume that everyone they're talking to is an atheist, and they have to prove the existence of God. Like, oh, you don't believe in God? Then look at all the evidence of the world around you. There has to be a God. But is everyone an atheist? Yeah. Very few people in my experience are truly atheists. They, even the ones who claim to be atheists, they'll concede the point that God exists. I just don't want anything to do with them. They, and they seem to be Yes, They're the easier group to work with as opposed to the, the fair-weather Christians. To a degree, yeah, that can be, that's true. Um, a, nominal, a nominal Christianity. Because um, atheists will want to go through logic. Logic is easy in this, yeah. You know. Whereas maybe the, a nominal believer might be resting in something like, oh, well, I was baptized, or maybe I go to church a couple times a month, or whatever, rather than resting in the So this, this is where we do have an issue where, like you said, like not everyone, in fact, very few people are genuinely convictional atheists where they've actually thought through the arguments and stuff. Most people who even identify themselves as atheists, you talk with them a little bit further and they actually are more agnostic. Um, because you can't prove a negative. Right? It's impossible to prove a negative. So no one, and of course we have the testimony of Scripture, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Uh, we see in um, Romans chapter 1 that the unbelievers are suppressing the truth and the righteousness. There is a knowledge about God that exists innately within the heart of every individual that's ever walked on the face of the earth. Now that truth and that knowledge is suppressed, but it's there. And so uh, I'm to try to argue from the standpoint of everyone being an atheist, I don't find that to be the most helpful thing. It's one thing that convince somebody that there's a God because I think everyone knows there's a God. Yeah. You know, suppress the topic about it. But it uh, comes to what God says yes. or what he says about his son. How can you believe God when you don't believe anything about his son? Right. And that's where all these different religions come in because they don't concentrate on who God says his son is and what he came to do. Exactly. That's the next point. Uh, it can only take you so far. I could use these different arguments, and I might convince you that God exists. <clears throat> Which God? The Hindu God. You can One of the many Hindu gods. So you can even take it so far as to get specific in looking at the historical evidence. Okay, Jesus exists. Right. I have no argument with that. You know, in fact, the available documents from the day are, are rather supportive that a yep. man named Jesus existed in in Judea. Yeah. Okay. okay. But it's making that step, okay, Jesus existed. <clears throat> Jesus is the son of God. Yes. I don't know that the evidentialist approach will ever get to that point. I don't know that it can. I agree. Even Jesus said, do not believe in me, yeah, exactly. And this approach, 
again, though it has some uses and usefulness, it can't it can't get people to that point. It can't get people to that point. Uh, there's a uh, there's a there's a real famous evidential psychologist. His name is William Lane Craig, and he uses these evidentialist approaches. And he even admitted in, a, in an interview that he did one time. I should go back and try to find that clip where his argumentation can only take people to the point of generic theism, and then. But for him, he said, well, if I can get him to that point, well, then I can use these other kinds of arguments that will then get them to Christian theism. But his main arguments are really only getting them so far. And then you have to change, you have to adapt, you have to hold, learn a whole other system to try to get them to the point of adopting the biblical worldview. So it's, I, I think that's a major weakness within the evidentialist approach as a main thrust of, you know, just of the apologetic discipline. <clears throat> but this last one, I really think this is really the most critical one uh, on this list as far as the most impactful that evidentialist apologist really places man in a position of judge over God. Here's the evidence. Now you decide if you think God has sufficiently revealed himself to you. I think that's a pretty dangerous place to we are putting ourselves in a position to say, well, you know, I don't think God has sufficiently revealed himself in this area. Or actually, you know, now that I've considered all the evidence, I do think he has revealed himself sufficiently. Um, the Bible says that God has revealed himself. And we're not the judge of that. Alright? So I think that's a... I think that's a, the biggest concern I have with this as a main approach is that it, it does kind of place ourselves in that position of... Yeah, Romans 1 makes it very clear that God has revealed himself and made himself plain to everybody. Yeah. There is the, um, that general revelation cannot be ignored. <coughs> the approach that I prefer is what's called a presuppositional approach. Presuppositional apologetics. This discipline appeals to the power of God's word to refute erroneous worldviews. Now, and before I actually even get too far into this, I, I do think there's value in evidential apologetics. So I don't want to dismiss it, and I don't want to denigrate it, and I don't want to you know, kind of smirch those that, that give themselves to it. Again, it's about the cornerstone of the apologetic approach. I think it has usefulness in connection with presuppositional apologetics, where we can say, hey, this is what the Word of God says, and that's our foundation, that's our rock, that's what we're standing on. And then you can say, well, you know, and when you look out the world around you, that actually, it makes sense with what we see in the Word of God, right? And so the evidences are kind of like a, kind of like a case in point kind of argument, like this is what God's Word says, and then, yeah, we see that born out in the, in the world, we see it born out in Increase, but this is what the Word of God says. It, it appeals to the power of God's Word to refute erroneous worldviews. This is really that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 passage that we destroy strongholds and every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to Christ. Excuse me. Um, this is what presuppositional apologetics does. It, it goes after the presuppositions of non-Christians. Right? There's a clash of worldviews going on. And there's a worldview that's expressed. Well, we're, 
using the word of God, using uh, the Christian worldview, we're showing the, the, the folly of the non-biblical worldview. We're showing how it is actually inherently self-contradictory and how the word of God and the biblical worldview is superior in every way to the non-biblical worldview. And it relies on the scriptures to help us accomplish that purpose. It relies on the scriptures to convict of sin and of truth and to demonstrate uh, the truthfulness of God's word. Now, you know, some people in, in kind of getting into um, conversations with individuals, this, this is an approach that relies upon the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God. And the question here is, okay, you know, I think Jessica, you kind of mentioned earlier about the idea that, well, there are some people who don't accept the Word of God as an authority. I'm going to argue that there's no such thing as neutrality. So we, there's never a point where we can kind of get to an argument where, well, we'll just argue from a neutral standpoint, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, it's either the biblical worldview or it's an unbiblical worldview. There's really no middle ground. And I have a video clip from uh, a guy who, are you guys anybody familiar with Wretched Radio, uh, Todd Friel? Um, yeah, so he, he, he got together with this, uh, with this gentleman to produced a video called Expository Apologetics. And he uses an illustration to discuss this concept about kind of a myth of neutrality and demonstrate how we really ought to be standing upon the Word of God and not, don't, don't give up the Word of God. Don't, don't ever get to a point where you say, well, I'm just not going to use the Bible. Uh, we, we don't want to give up the Word of God. And he uses an illustration to help us understand this. Two nights approach one another. And all of a sudden, you know, when they meet, one knight draws his sword, and the other knight looks at the first knight who's drawn his sword, and he says, I do not believe in thine sword. Now the second knight has two choices. Choice number one, he can resheathe his sword and enter into a philosophical or scientific discussion about, you know, metallurgy and anatomy and physiology and why it is it's very important for his opponent to believe in the sword. Option number two, cut it. <laughs> and he will either believe, or very shortly it will not matter. Okay? Don't put away your sword. Don't put away your sword. Because essentially, here's what you just, you've just done. Someone says, I want to have a discussion with you about this moral issue. And I argue that the Bible is completely irrelevant to this moral issue. And you say, I agree with you. Let's discuss it without the Bible. You've already lost. We start getting into apologetic conversations. We... set aside the authority of the Word of God in an effort to try to have a neutral conversation, we end up conceding to the non-biblical worldview. We end up saying, you know what, actually I think, you know, you're right, the Bible isn't helpful in this area, so let's just discuss it and try to figure it out without using the Word of God. Now, and I know you're not, yeah. Um, but that, that's the, 
concern. And then you have a discussion about truth and surrender the source of truth. Exactly. And say we're not going to bring the source of truth into the conversation. Exactly. And so it's it's um, and this is where this is where why the why the uh, why this approach is called the presuppositional approach. Uh, the, the concept of the presupposition. That word itself, it means that there are things that we're supposing to be true before the conversation even starts. And everybody has these. Everybody has these, and, and uh, a lot of times these are called axioms. Uh, these are truths that everyone assumes to be true, even just to have this conversation right here, right now. We're all bringing axioms to the table that words have meaning, that uh, communication is possible. Like these are presuppositions that we have. They're just inner. We've just internalized them. Yeah, we, we've just internalized them, and we assume them to be true every, before we even begin the conversation. Uh, and so the presupposition is truth that is necessary to believe before the conversation even starts, or else the conversation itself really is impossible. Well, the Christian worldview has certain presuppositions. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that it is sufficient, that it is authoritative. We're not going to give up those presuppositions and concede to the unbiblical worldview's presuppositions and their presuppositions is that the Bible is not the authority, that something else is the authority, that mankind is the authority. So really, the bedrock of, uh, question that is a part of presuppositional apologetics is one question. Anytime a truth claim is made, the question must be, says, Says who? Anytime a truth claim is made, the question must be says who? Is this something that is drawn from the Word of God that has its authority based on what God has revealed to be true? Or is this some other authority, some man made authority, uh, some you know, scientific authority, or some uh, you know, philosophical authority based off of whatever worldview that exists in the culture? Says who? who? makes that determination that that truth claim is true. And we are assuming uh, at the, at the get-go that we are, we ought to be resting upon the Word of God as the source of truth. Now, just because we have a presupposition doesn't mean that presuppositions are never challenged. <coughs> so sometimes when we're engaging someone, they're going to challenge our presuppositions. And we're going to challenge theirs. Well, it's through that challenge, that clash of worldviews, one of those worldviews is going to be shown to be superior. The, the presuppositions will hold. One of those worldviews, there'll be cracks in the foundation and it will be shown to be false. And, but this, this approach is relying upon our presuppositions to challenge the presuppositions of non-biblical. Any questions about that? <clears throat> We haven't gotten into a lot of Bible passages. We will, I promise. Like there's, there's a lot of Bible that we pass this up. I think we can argue our point that we have the Holy Spirit guiding and directing you in what you know in your perspective as a Christian. Yes. That we're not going to get anywhere unless the Lord uses His Word and yes. the Holy Spirit. Your life, your life, you 
Holy Spirit is not working in your in your life and in your person's life through your prayer and through God's situation Agreed. And that's where um, that point is, is part of why I believe the presuppositional apologetic approach is better than the evidentialist approach. Um, I think our theology informs our apologetic approach. The, the evidentialist approach seems to think that, you know, you can just leave it up to someone, like, oh, here's the evidence, now it's just up to you, and you can just convince them that way. Because the presuppositional approach is going to try to bring the Word of God to bear and say, hey, look, this is what the Bible says. You're accountable before God. There is, and, and you must give an account for that. And that's, it, it's relying upon the Word of God, so the Spirit of God, to use the Word of God to accomplish His purposes. Yes. Yes. And that's, I think it lends itself more towards getting to evangelism than the apologetic.
it's it's kind of a, a defensive conversation. I don't know how much you've been able to kind of go on the offense about their worldview, if that's been a part of, of the conversation at all. It has. If I just is you know, it a public and by definition defensive though? It is um, in a sense. Um, I think there's both ends with with as as a the word itself does talk about a defense. But as a discipline, which the word has kind of come in to refer to the whole thing as a discipline, uh, that's where the Second Corinthians 10 passage about we destroy strongholds, that is an offensive idea where we're going after another biblical worldview. Uh, in future weeks, we're going to get into a couple of biblical texts where we see that playing out. Uh, so, uh, Acts 17, where Paul's on uh, in the Areopagus in Athens, he's challenging the worldview of the Athenians. We're going to look at that text in greater depth. Uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, uh, a couple of texts in Proverbs. Um, so we're going, to, we're going to get into some Bible and, and really break down what, how the Bible instructs us and the examples that the Bible shows us about how we interact with people with different worldviews. Um, but this is kind of just the, the general approach that we're going after. So, any other questions before we close our time today?
no matter what level of conversation you're engaged in. So if it is someone who's an atheist, an agnostic, someone who is curious about Christianity and they're trying to think things through, uh, someone who is you know, a, a Muslim or a, a Hindu or, or whatever other worldview exists out there, this approach can be used with all of them. Now, it might look slightly different depending on who you're talking to, but it, the main principles apply across the board. So I think there's value in the simplicity and the universality of this approach. Yeah, I've never been to the creation museum. Yeah.
and stand upon confidently where we know there's so much uh, truth that the world so desperately seeks to suppress and replace. And I pray that you would help us in our apologetic encounters to challenge our biblical worldviews, to show forth the, the Christian worldview, and to do so speaking the truth in love, uh, with gentleness and respect, as 1 Peter 3 says. Not for the sake of winning arguments, but for the sake of sharing the love of Christ that is contained in the gospel. I pray all of this in Christ's name.